Birds, Patient and Public Engagement podcasts. Hello and welcome to this podcast about sleep. My name is Marbrook. I'm the Patient and Public Engagement Programme Director for BIRD. In this episode, I'm talking to Sandy Derham, who is a rheumatology occupational therapist and clinical specialist at the Royal National Hospital for Rheumatic Diseases in Bath. Sandy's going to talk us through the process of sleep, including things like circadian rhythms. She's going to outline our basic needs and talks about things that can actually create disturbances for us. And then she's going to go on and share her practical tips and advice to help us get a better night's sleep. Hello, Sandy. Thank you for joining me today for this podcast. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. So we're going to be talking about some tips for getting better sleep. Um, And I think probably it'd be really good to start with just a little sort of general introduction about you and your role as a occupational therapist and and the kinds of things that you support through this role. So I have been an occupational therapist for quite a long time, probably nearly 20 years. And the majority of that time has been working um, with people within the rheumatology um, service, which is an absolute pleasure. Um, In terms of occupational therapy, um, I work very closely as part of what we call a multidisciplinary team. So that's with physiotherapists, nurses, um, medics, dietetics, um, and it's very much supporting the patients to um, manage their condition as best they can. In terms of occupational therapy, we are very much looking at the functional side of life. So that's everything through from um, getting washed and dressed in the morning, um, managing families, managing work, managing sleep, um, managing your your emotional health as well. Mm -hmm. We also look very much at the functional side of um, hand health too. So we will give advice around splinting, protecting your joints if you have a a condition that um, affects the, the joints of your hands. We look at hand exercises um, we also look at fatigue management as well. So, so really, we cover a very broad range mm. of um, of topics that patients may find helpful to help manage their own individual conditions. Absolutely, because this is all the kind of day to day living with support that that you need. And in, in addition to you know understanding your disease and having the medications, this, this is really important. How do people get access to occupational therapists usually? So in terms of rheumatology occupational therapy, um, they can be referred through um, by the consultant team, and that includes the clinical nurse specialists as well, Mm -hmm. or they can be referred via their GP. Right, okay. I don't know whether many people are aware of that um, or would know what to ask for, but all of those things, especially things like fatigue, which I know we're going to do a podcast on about later, um, you know, those are things that affect so many people and are so important to get it to try and get it as right as you can yeah and and as i say as long as people have a, a, a diagnosed with a rheumatology condition mm. then they can be referred via either of those two uh, routes that's good to know great okay so we're like i said going to talk today about trying to share some tips for better sleep which is one of the things that you mentioned um, you can try and help people with so let's start off by talking about why this might be a problem for people with 
musculoskeletal conditions and a little bit about sleep disturbance. So I think sleep disturbance is is actually quite common mm-hmm. and it's particularly common in people with, with long-term health conditions. And that's not just musculoskeletal, that could be neurological conditions as well, such mm-hmm. as MS. Um, but common symptoms of disturbed sleep are um, restlessness at night, frequently waking up where people are describing light or non-refreshing sleep, where they wake up fatigued, where they're waking up sort of feeling very stiff. Um, And really that that feeling that they've not had a good night's sleep, their sleep is unrefreshed. Mm. So so that's sleep disturbance. Yeah. I mean, it all sounds very familiar because things like if you've got a chronic pain condition, that can constantly interrupt your sleep content. Absolutely. And I think um, if you have a a disturbed night's sleep, then sleep is actually is controlled by the same parts of the brain that are also involved in pain processing as well. Right. So so lack of sleep can can you affect your emotions, can affect your your interaction with other people and your decision making as well. Mm. So if you haven't had a good night's sleep, you don't deal as well with your pain, perhaps the next day. Yeah, that kind of cycle is it's a vicious cycle. So, I mean, just back to real basics. Why do we need sleep? So sleep is despite there, there being an awful lot of research around sleep, we still don't fully under, understand the full function of sleep because mm. it is so complicated. Mm hmm. But looking at a lot of the, the research, it is becoming very apparent that, that sleep is almost the foundation for a lot of health decisions we make in terms of healthy eating, exercise and our emotional health. Sleep mm. is the foundation. And if your sleep is disrupted, it can affect all of that. Right. But why we need sleep is it's, a, it's really a dynamic time. So while we're sleeping, our body is extremely busy. It's a time when our body is healing. It's a time when it's growing. It's a time when we're, it's boosting our immune system. There's chemicals within the body that um, the balance is being restored. And in terms of our memories and our, our sort of mental health, it's assisting with memory processing. It's consolidating our learning. It's helping with our concentration that we're going to need for the next day. Mm. So all of that, it happens while we're asleep. So that old trick of trying to get your kids to go to bed because you say that's where they do their growing is is actually relatively true then by the sound it's, of it. it's absolutely true and I think it's it's the one thing that we perhaps neglect or mm. we think ah oh, we're really busy life takes over and you think oh I can I, I can't quite get to bed yet we don't tend to prioritize sleep but actually on reflection sleep is such a foundation for for, for health and well-being but that's the one thing that we do need to do. Yeah, and I'm sure it contributes to the kind of brain fog that I know we'll talk about more when we do our podcast on fatigue, but I'm sure that that whole thing of feeling foggy the next morning and if you've got, you know, a condition, say like fibromyalgia or if you often suffer from something like brain fog, it's just going to make it worse, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and certainly lack of sleep is really linked with, um, you know, reduced decision making, reduced concentration, reduced attention, reduced memory, and all of that feeds into to brain fog. And, and and that can actually be really quite a distressing symptom to, to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Mm. So anyone who's suffering from that, we 
got to recommend that they um, stay tuned for our podcast on fatigue later on when we do it. Absolutely. So can we go through the kind of the process and the stages of sleep? Can you explain that for us? Yeah, there are sleep, as I said, sleep is quite complex, but there are basically four stages of sleep. And then there's a, a stage called REM or rapid eye movement sleep. So I'll go through the four stages and then I'll talk about the, the rapid eye movement. Okay. So stage one is light sleep. And that's where our eye movements stop, our heart rate and our breathing slows down and our muscle tone reduces. So we're getting ready for sleep. Mm -hmm. Stage two is the actual onset of sleep. And that's where our body temperature drops and our brainwave patterns change slightly. We then get to stage three, which is deep sleep. And again, our, our brainwave changes to a, a, a gamma brainwave pattern. And then stage four is the slow wave sleep. And, and this is the, the bit that's really important. This is where um, our muscles go into a state of total paralysis. So the body switches the muscles off. The blood flow is directed from the brain to muscles and that's where we start the body starts to repair itself so chemicals start to be um, rebalanced growth hormones um, are, are looked at and that is actually where we're doing that that sort of repair and regeneration uh, that makes sense I was wondering why everything kind of sort of switches off a bit that that makes perfect sense and and actually if you were ever to be woken suddenly and you were in stage four sleep Mm. then you would feel very disorientated when you woke up and and for a moment or two you might actually feel as though you couldn't move as though you were paralyzed mm. and that's actually true because the brain has switched off the muscles right okay that's really interesting i'm sure we all get these disturbances at some time as well but it's good to know that they're kind of normal yep yeah and then moving on to rapid eye movement sleep so rem sleep Mm -hmm. um that is about 70 70 to 90 minutes into our sleep cycle yeah that's where the brain is active and you're dreaming and dreaming is where we consolidate the information that we've received during the daytime so we're mm -hmm. processing memories we're processing skills that we've learned we're actually looking at our emotional health and relieving stress we're processing emotions and that takes up about 25 percent of our sleep time right really key part of sleep and again lots of evidence to say that we still don't fully understand it but it, it, we can't do without REM, REM sleep. In terms of the stages of sleep it's not a case of us going through stage one to four and then REM sleep tick we're done we yeah. actually go through cycles of sleep so we'll go through stages one to, to three and then we'll have a bit into stage four we'll have a bit of rapid eye movements sleep and then we'll repeat the process again mm. and as we get towards morning that is where we start to have more periods of light sleep and dreaming sleep REM sleep so that is where you may wake up remembering a little bit of what you were dreaming okay and obviously sometimes these things get disrupted for other reasons like if you've got a young baby or something like that so that's really difficult to manage, isn't it? Yeah. And I, I think certainly um, where, you, where you have young children, it's really trying to optimise your sleep as best you can throughout the day. Mm. So maybe grabbing a bit of sleep when 
they have a bit of downtime if you're not getting a full uh, eight hours at, at night. Mm. Um, because obviously you function better if you, you sleep well. Yeah. Um, so certainly with young children, it, it's thinking about maybe having a, a couple of periods of sleep if you're really sleep deprived in, in the small hours of the, the night. There's a mixed message about cat napping or power napping, isn't there? And I think sometimes if you've had a restless night, whether it's because you've got young children or whether you've got pain, you know, a 20 minute nap seems to give you that boost to get you through the rest of the day. So it's not that it's restorative sleep. It's more for the kind of the, the quick power up, isn't it? And I mean, is that recommended or because sometimes you hear it's good, sometimes you hear it's not. And obviously in other countries, they do things like take siestas because their whole working pattern of life is different. What's your thoughts on that? So in terms of, of naps, I would certainly say um, if you need a nap and you're able to have a nap, then it should be approximately 20 minutes. Yeah. So so nothing longer than about 20 minutes. It's really just topping up. Because otherwise, if you have a, a longer nap, then it can actually lead to what's called sleep inertia. So that's where your cognitive functions and, and your sensory motor performance can be impaired. Right. Uh, and it can also affect the quality of your sleep at night. So I would certainly say if you're going to have a nap, 20 minutes maximum and definitely more than six hours before you go to bed. Because otherwise what happens is, um, if, if it's too close to bedtime, it reduces that body's natural drive to want to sleep. So it will delay your sleep onset when you actually go to bed and, and are thinking, right, I need to be asleep now. Because you've kind of woken yourself up, that makes Yes, sense. yes. But certainly that 20 minutes um, nap during the day is fine. I would say also try to, to vary the time that you, you maybe take that nap. So don't, don't make it a, a regular thing at a certain time of the day otherwise your body will hook into that your brain hooks into that mm. You've got to go and do something at that time during the day that's active you will then start to find you're fighting that desire to sleep because our, our body and our brain are very hooked into routine uh, yeah and this is really difficult for people who work shifts where they're, they're then the sleep is disrupted because they're on different shift patterns so i would certainly say that um those that work at night and those that work shift patterns that involve night shifts are one of the most difficult populations to, to treat in terms of sleep because actually they're working against the body's natural wake sleep routine that 24 hour what we call circadian rhythm yeah so that that day night routine um and all of our hormones all of our drives to sleep are are linked around day night routine and if you're having to work at, in the night rather than the day that can really mess mess that mm -hmm. up mm. it's very difficult to to kind of address mm -hmm. so in terms of how much sleep we need is it variable depending on you know the age of the person yeah, I mean, I think obviously children need a bit more sleep than than adults. Mm. So children need between nine and 12 hours, and that gradually decreases as they get older. Mm -hmm. And then teenagers need roughly nine hours sleep, but actually their sleep pattern is slightly different to, to maybe an adult. They tend to want to wake later and to go to bed slightly later, and that is perfectly normal as yeah. part of their, their sleep circadian rhythm. 
And then with adults, we definitely need a good seven to eight hours, eight hours preferable um, to, to, to function at our best. And actually, it's a fallacy that older adults need less sleep. They don't. They need exactly the same as adults, but their sleep may be a little bit lighter. So they also need a good seven to eight hours, um, maybe with a little bit of a nap in, in the day if their sleep isn't so good at night. Mm. I mean, you can see two of those things are so typical, aren't they? So teenagers not wanting to get up in the morning because their pattern, shift pattern's different for sleeping. And then older people maybe napping during the day. You can see that happens. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 part of life. But I think we do need those solid eight hours, definitely eight hours plus of sleep. And does it does our sleep needs change with the season? So because in the summer, I mean, I find I get woken up because it's just so light outside. Yeah, so I think sleep is very much linked with that 24 hour pattern um, and that day night routine as well. And, and what can happen is we're reliant on a few hormones that, that help drive our, our sleep cycle. So our circadian rhythm is our personal wake sleep cycle, and it's also called our body clock. It's right. controlled by daylight and by chemical messages to our that are released um, in our bodies and affect our brain, and they're called hormones. Um, and having long periods awake during the day can help this circadian rhythm. Um, so things like melatonin, it's a hormone that builds up as it gets dark and it makes us feel sleepy and it tells our body that it's time to sleep. So as, we, as it gets darker, and if you think about the, the autumn winter months, it's, it's darker a lot earlier, which mm. means that melatonin is going to be released sooner. So we tend to feel a little bit sleepier during the winter months. Mm. And um, adenosine is another uh, chemical, is another hormone that builds up in our body during the day. So the longer we stay awake, the more it builds up. And that is effectively our, our homeostatic drive, our sleep drive. And as it builds up during the day, we then start to get a feeling that we're wanting to sleep. Melatonin then kicks in as it gets dark, and that will give our body the push to go, right, it is sleep time now. And during the night, as we sleep, that adenosine breaks down so that we're ready to wake up in the morning. Now, one of the things that, that can affect um, that sleep drive is caffeine. Caffeine can actually override that adenosine buildup, which means that that drive to sleep is disrupted. So that's why lots of cups of coffee, lots of cups of tea during the day can then make us quite restless and, and find it more difficult to sleep at night. That makes perfect sense. That's really interesting. Thank you. I know it's all getting a bit sciencey, but I think it's really interesting to understand the whole process. So I'm sure I'm sure some of our listeners will find that quite intriguing. So to get back to sort of some practical tips, what what can we do to help us get better sleep? So there's lots of things that we can do to, to help get better sleep. One of the, the things is, is looking at your daily routines. So a regular routine is vital for healthy sleep. Mm. Um, and that includes weekends and holidays, because what can happen is we get great or we may get reasonable sleep during the week where we're going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time. But it may go a little bit awry at the weekend if we're, if we're staying up much later and getting up much later. Um, I think variations of, of one to 
one at most two hours is fine but if you've got wild extremes between weekends and weekdays then your your day night um, body clock your circadian rhythm is going to be really disrupted so a regular routine is vital we've talked about napping so if you do nap 20 minutes maximum try not to to um, nap at the same time every day if you find that you're napping more than 20 minutes and set an alarm clock just to help you wake up Mm-hmm. try and have regular daytime exercise and activity so even if you've had a bad night try to maintain a regular amount of physical activity but don't do it just before bed right. um, because that will wake you up and then that will disrupt your your drive to sleep um, regular exposure to natural outside light is really important um, morning light is the brightest so mm-hmm. if you can get plenty of that that can help with your circadian um, rhythm I think avoid caffeine and avoid um, stimulants like alcohol um, and nicotine because they can interfere with our ability to get to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are going to have the odd glass of, of, of wine or whatever, then avoid alcohol really late into the evening. Alcohol will make you sleep, but it will cause a lighter sleep and it will disturb your sleep as well. So you won't get that quality sleep that you need. Okay. Try and eat well. So um, healthy eating choices where you can and try not to eat really heavy or rich meals just before bed, because that can also disrupt your sleep. And it's uncomfortable to go to bed on quite a full stomach. Yeah. Foods that contain tryptophan, which is a natural sleep inducer, can be helpful. So dairy, milk, yogurt, nuts, seeds, bananas, they all contain tryptophan. Um, that may help with uh, a good night's sleep. This sort of links into that tradition of having uh, a milky drink before bed, doesn't it then? Yeah, I mean, I think the evidence isn't um, maybe as, as, as strong as, as we would like, but certainly tryptophan is linked with sleep and it wouldn't hurt to sort of, if you're trying to optimise your sleep to mm. try that. Mm, see if um, it works for you, yeah. So we've talked about routines. Mm-hmm. We, in terms of night routines, really optimize preparing for bed. So think about what you're going to do. Think about getting clothes read out for the next day. So you're not worrying about that if you're not a morning person and allow time to wind down. So avoid doing stimulating activities right before bed. Set aside a good half an hour for wind down. Maybe have a warm bath or shower because that will help your body temperature drop. And we need that temperature drop for sleep. Don't stay up too late because if you're you're likely to get a second wind then and that's going to disrupt that onset of sleep. Mm. Try and avoid screen time before bed. So that's phones, laptops, tablets. They can give off what we call a blue light. We don't see it as blue light, but our eye and brain detect blue light. And that can interfere with that release of of that melatonin, that sleep-inducing hormone. Yeah. Also keeps your your cortisol levels, your stress levels high, which means you may stay awake for longer. Right. So I would say have what we call a digital sundown um, of at least half an hour before bed. Put everything away. Oh, I like that phrase. That's, That's really clever. So if if you're worried about stuff, write it down. So you're not thinking, oh, I must remember that 
and that disrupts your sleep throughout the night. Or if you've got an emotional worry, write it down and, and focus on thinking, right, I will deal with that tomorrow or I'll set a time aside to look at that. Clocks can be helpful, but equally, if you're somebody that doesn't sleep well, clock watching really isn't helpful because it then increases your stress thinking, oh, it's 3 a.m., I'm still not asleep, and your stress levels go up. And as soon as that happens, then you can't sleep. So turn the clock away from you if, if you find that you're a, a clock watcher. Mm. There's also that 15-minute rule, 15, 20-minute rule, that if you are tossing and turning, you've been awake for 15, 20 minutes, you know you're not going to get to sleep or get back to sleep, get up, go somewhere quiet and relatively dark, so don't turn lots of lights on, and either listen to music or read quietly. Don't go on your phone, don't go on your laptop try and avoid turning the television on until you feel sleepy and then go back to bed. And this really helps our brain associate the time in bed with going to sleep and sleeping rather than being awake and tossing and turning. And you may need to do that several times throughout the night until your brain gets the message that the bedroom and the bed you sleep in. And if your brain is active and you, you need to, to, be doing other things, reading, whatever, you do that outside of that sleep area. It's really easy to fall into bad habits, isn't it? I'm listening to what you're saying and thinking, oh, yeah, I do that. I should change that. And I'm sure lots of other people are going to do that as well. Yeah. And I think one of the main things that, that we find is we use our mobile phones a lot. And a lot of people use our mobile phone for as an alarm clock, which is, is fair enough. But that is one of the first things we reach for when we can't sleep. And then suddenly we may be into emails and we may be on Facebook or whatever. And that is a stimulating activity. So that is going to move us away from what we need to be doing, which is sleeping. Mm. There's some really good tips, Sandy. Yeah, I think the only other thing to say is just about your bedroom environment. So and reserve your bedroom for sleeping. Try and avoid um, bringing lots of work or, or um, leisure stuff into the bedroom. So avoid um, working on a laptop in the bedroom if you can. Um, TV, again, if you must have a TV in the bedroom, fine, but definitely turn that off and try and avoid really deep and meaningful discussions 20 minutes or 10 minutes before you go to bed because, again, that's going to stimulate your brain. Temperature is really important. So um, anything between 18 and 22 degrees, a comfortable temperature, but not too hot. Try and go for cotton, bed covering and clothing if you can, because that can be helpful in keeping you cool. Try and go for blackout curtains or shutters if, if there's a lot of light coming into your room, um, because again, that can affect our, our sleep. And really think about your mattress and your pillows as well. I think it's a really individual choice in terms of comfort, in terms of, of mattress and of pillows. There's no hard and fast rules with that. Um, but I would certainly say something that you find comfortable and actually what you find comfortable. And if you sleep with a, a partner, what your partner finds comfortable may be very different. So you might have to think about a split mattress. Mm. And pillows are really useful, aren't they, for sort of popping underneath a, an aching joint or, you know, to, to sort of pad out bits of you, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think um, pillows, again, are very individual. Mm. Um, I would certainly say 
um, think about having maybe several pillows. Mm. You don't want to sleep with your, you want to sleep with your body in a fairly supported horizontal position. You don't want your neck pushed too far um, at an angle because that is not a comfortable position for your neck or for your spine. Mm. Um, so sometimes I say if one pillow is not enough, but two pillows is too much, maybe think about um, a towel that goes underneath the pillow that just brings your pillow up slightly so that it's the right depth for you. Mm. There are now pillows you can buy that are you can adjust the depth of. Um, so it's worth looking for those to get something that that's that's comfortable for you. Mm. And equally, sometimes a bolster in bed can help. Um, so it might be that it just supports um, uh, between your knees. So not under your knees, but between your knees to help um, with any hip pain or knee pain that you might get. Um, and it is also quite comfortable if you throw a shoulder over the bolster as well, because that can just support you um, if you tend to roll onto your back or something like that. Um, and you're trying to avoid that because of snoring or or pain. Mm. And what about things like memory foam mattresses? So from feedback with with quite a few patients, I think it's a little bit like Marmite. You either love a memory foam mattress or you hate it. I would certainly say that they a full memory foam mattress. Quite a few patients have reported have been quite hot mm. and you sink into them. But equally, it's quite difficult to turn over as well. Mm. So a, a good halfway house is a good quality um, mattress pocket pocket spam mattress with maybe a memory foam topper um, and that seems to give people the, the support that they need in, in padding painful joints if you are a side liar so hips and mm. shoulders but equally you're not getting the the same heat and it's more easy you can turn over more easily mm. and I'm guessing if people really struggle with all of these things then you know a more in-depth chat yes. with their occupational therapist might throw up some other potential solutions or suggestions to try yeah and I would certainly say um with sleep disturbance it's really quite often not just one thing it's not just the mattress or just the pillows or just the, the bedroom environment it can be lots of different things that are just contributing to that disturbed night's sleep mm. and and a good discussion to unpick that can be really helpful yeah I'm sure some brilliant tips there. Thanks so much. For people who want to follow up with this in, in other ways, are there any kind of useful resources or links that we can share with them? Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, a lot of information is online now. So I'm, I'm well aware that, that it's not accessible to everybody. But mm. um, equally, that is the best source source of information. Um, and do remember that you, as things open up, you can access local libraries who can help you access that type of information as well. Good point. Um, so, so do you know? Don't discount that just because you may not have a computer or, or a smartphone. Mm. Um, in terms of useful resources, definitely look at the BBC website um, and the science part of that. Yeah. Definitely look at Sleep Council and um sleep advice okay. as well um mind which is a mental health charity has some really good advice around getting a good night's sleep yeah as as does the mental health foundation and quite often you can find little podcasts which help with relaxation in order to get off to sleep which can be helpful too and okay. there's lots of top tips 
um, which, which is helpful. Great. We can put some of those links in the show notes. I think I'd also just like to, to make people aware that at the moment, the Sleep and Circadian Neuroscience Institute, which is, is run by the University of Oxford and the BBC, are doing a big census on sleep. So it's, it's called A Census of How the UK is Sleeping Right Now. And it's open to those over 18 years of age and in the UK. And you can access it um, via the website um, and we can pop that link up. Um, but that gives basically it's a questionnaire that takes online questionnaire that takes approximately 15 minutes to fill in. It asks you lots of questions about your sleep, but they're really easy to answer. And then at the end, it gives you a summary of what your sleep is like, whether you're classed as a, a morning lark or a night owl or whether you're between the two. And it kind of highlights any areas that you could perhaps improve your sleep. So it, I would really recommend that, that you have a good look at that. That sounds great. I might do that myself. <laughs> yep. I mean, I've done it and it was quite revealing for me. So and help, and helpful as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. That's another one we'll put in the show notes then. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, Sandy. There's so much that I know. I know you could probably talk about other things to do, but I think there's been a lot shared there and um, I'm sure people will be really grateful to listen to it. Brilliant. I could talk about sleep all day. <laughs> Thanks ever so much, Sandy. <laughs> Thank you to Sandy for giving us such a fascinating insight into sleep. The links that Sandy mentioned are in the show notes. And don't forget, we have a second episode with Sandy Durham coming up talking about fatigue and tips for managing it. So you might want to listen out for news of that one. We'd like to thank all our sponsors who have helped support the making of these podcasts, including Healthwatch Bath and North East Somerset, the Hospital Saturday Fund and UCB. Time for a quick cuppa and a stretch. While you've got the kettle on, I'd like to just mention our new text and donate service that will help us to fund these podcasts. All you'd need to do is text BIRD to 70460 to donate £5. This costs £5 plus a standard rate message. Thanks for your support.